Welcome to the Success Inspired Podcast, a business and personal development podcast to help you accomplish more in life and realize your true potential. And now here is your host, Vit Muller. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode on the Success Inspired Podcast. I'm your host, Vit, and my guest today is a physical therapist, former private practice owner, and an author of the Practice Freedom Method. The practice owner's guide to work less, earn more, and live your passion by teaching what they didn't learn in the school. Covering four key areas, critical for business growth, referral marketing, organization, management, profitability, and leadership. He is on a mission to help private practice owners to grow their business by working less, earning more, and living their best life. Please welcome to the show, Jamie Schreier. Hey, Vic. How are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. Glad to have you on the show, man. Great to have show. I'm introduced. Glad to be here. So glad to be down under. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I've been in private practice owner, as as you mentioned, and, and like most people, I just couldn't work for somebody. I mean, I realize now I'm unemployable. I, I, I just, it's just, I need to do my own thing. I, I need to be responsible for my livelihood, be responsible for my financial well-being. So I made that leap into private practice because that's where you can do it. That, that entrepreneurial thing, although I never really looked at myself as an entrepreneur, that was like the seed jobs of the world. And I started my business. My wife was with me. She was my fiance at the time. And I dove right in and I did what everybody does when they start a business, right? I was working, man. I was working hard, having fun, treating some patients, you know, had had some family come in, had some friends come in. I mean, my dad had 36 different problems because I had to keep, you know, I had to keep the, you know, paying the bills and all that. And then eventually, you know, started getting busier. And when I got busier, the once fun and exciting time of practice ownership, it started to become a little bit more of a, a little, little more anxious, a little more uneasy feeling. It, it just wasn't fun anymore. And, uh, you know, what was interesting is during this time, here's something that people may not know. And during this time, I had an, a, a fire and my whole place burned down. It was a crazy thing, electrical fire on a Sunday afternoon and the place burned down. But what's interesting bit is even before that, I just wasn't happy. I was overwhelmed. My energy wasn't the same. I just, I just started looking into the future and I was like, what am I doing? All I'm doing is working. Every day seems to say, I'm just working, working, dreading Mondays, waking up at two o'clock in the morning. So I finally said, look, when the place burned down, the good news was I didn't have to go to work on Monday. So that was good. And I didn't go to work for the next four months. The other news was I had to decide what the heck I was going to do. So I was either going to quit the profession and just say, this is not for me. This is just too hard. I'll just do something else. Or I was going to make a commitment, a true invested investment in learning actually how to build a business that delivers great care. I didn't know how to do that. I was the person who provided good care, but I didn't understand anything about business. They didn't teach me this in school. The only thing I did was read a book. So my investment in my business education was about $14.95, but I made that commitment, thought it would take me a couple of years to do it. Nine years later, I finally did what I wanted to do. I wanted to build a business. Listen to this, that I wanted to build a business that day in and day out could be operated by a team. Other therapists could treat people and treat them well. We would bill properly. We would collect money. We would, you know, make sure the place was good. We'd take care of everybody. And I would play a different role. I'd play a role of, of, of directing everybody and, and being the visionary and really just having more control over my time and network and do all that. Nine years later, I did it in 2013. And it was the greatest thing in the world. Yeah, man, you're totally right. And that's the whole thing, right? Like when you have a business, what's the whole idea of the business? It's supposed to be an income generating asset, but sometimes, you know, oh, not, not sometimes, actually oftentimes people start business and soon before they, they realize they actually got themselves a job and they are stuck in there, right? Like you, you actually want to be the director, like the, the, the person that they direct, as the name suggests, directs, not in a like uh dictatorship way but directs the the team directs the 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 flow of the business where the business is going and then the actual technical jobs technical tasks are being done by the employees and that's why we have employees 
So well done to that. Obviously, it takes nine years. Sometimes it takes even longer, right? Oh, absolutely. It, it, it takes a long time. And, you know, th th there's a way to do it. And that's what I discovered over the nine years. There was a methodology that I followed and I started to figure out there actually was a way to do it. And I started sharing it with other people and other people started to utilize this methodology, this system, and they started getting results better than I did, bigger than I did, and a lot faster than I did. There's people getting results, you know, literally moving themselves from craziness, overwhelmed, not making really any money to making multiple six figures, having time off in less than 18 months. I mean, it, it blew me away. So that's when I felt like it was the, what we need right now is to be sharing this with as many people as possible. Yeah. I love that. And let's clarify this thing for, for the listeners, because they might think, oh, so uh, maybe I should stop listening because this is only going to be for, you know, a medical practice owners, but correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a lot of the business principles, would you say they apply to, to other business uh, industries? I would say every single one applies to any business you have, because here's the deal. If you are a business owner and you're responsible for generating income and you have something to sell, either a product or a service, and you have clients that buy that product or service, then we all do the same thing. The widget we sell, and it's hard to look at it like this bit, but the widget we sell, the service we do that we help people with, that's unique. But everything around that is the same. Like I said, I learned mostly everything I've known outside of the health and wellness field. That means I learned for people that had all kinds of other business, and I realized how much it applied to our businesses in the health and wellness field. So yes, absolutely, it relates. Mm, I love that. So what are some of the areas that need to be addressed to build and, and grow a seven-figure practice? Well, you know, first of all, the biggest challenge we have in, in business is we're getting pulled in a million directions. We, um, have all these to do's and we never feel like we're accomplishing any of them because there's always more to do's and we have this, this ideal of what we want, but it just seems like every day is kind of the same. So one of the first things we have to do, if not the first thing is just like we go on vacation. If you go on vacation, Vin, what's the first thing you have to determine? Where are you going to stay? You got to determine where you're going. Actually, <laughs> yeah. Right? So many of us, we open our business and what do we do? We jump right in the car. We put the pedal to the metal. We just go. Where are we going? I don't know. I just need to work. I need to get people in. I need to get people in. So the first step that we have to do is we have to determine our destination. We actually have to know where we're trying to end up. What is our goal? You know, as, as Stephen Covey said in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, he talked about always begin with the end in mind. Well, in this case, in your business, whether you're just starting, you've been in 10 years, you have to be clear in what is, quote, the end. Now, of course, it never really ends. You continue to grow. But there needs to be, at this stage of the game, a destination. That is the absolute first step in this thing. And then the second step, which really is, it, it's more of a subset of the first one, Vit. The second one is, so why is this destination important? So if you're taking a trip and you want to go, let's say, to the States, which, of course, you're going to have to fly here. Well, why the States? Why are you going there? Why aren't you going somewhere else? Because you need to get really clear and resonate with this goal, with this vision that you have. If not, it becomes empty. And initially, you might be able to get away with that. But if you want to become a seven-figure business, even maybe if you're right now a hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollar a year business, if you want to get there, you're eventually going to have to hire people, which was one of the later steps. But you're eventually going to have to do that. And when you do that, you're going to have to attract them. And the only way to do it is to be clear in where this ship is sailing, where you are going. So by doing this work in the beginning, gives yourself clarity of where you want to go. And it helps you then create a path and a plan to get there. So number one, 
where are you going to go? What's the location? Number two was the subset, figuring out where exactly you, you want to be, like location, where you're going to find the employees. Well, uh, well, number one, determine your destination. One, one A is why. Like side of the you know, start with why. Why is this important to you? Because this is your business. What you're doing has to inspire you. It can't just be jump in the car. Let's start doing it, man. Let's start doing it. You will wear yourself out. You're the most important aspect of this business. And just working harder and harder and harder is not going to get you where you want to go. You're going to run out of time and you're going to burn yourself out and be in overwhelm. So number one, determine the destination. Number two, once you're clear on the destination, we have to dial in who is your avatar? Who is your ideal client? Here's one of the biggest challenges that are out there. The problem that is out there is we try to be everything to everybody. We don't have a strong niche. We do whatever we got to do. And this comes down to two reasons. One, when we start out in business, it's mostly just us. We're the solopreneur and we have a lot of skills and we can help a lot of different kinds of people. And two, the reason we do this is because, damn, we got bills to pay. I see anybody and everybody. My, my saying used to be, give me anybody with a pulse in insurance and the insurance is off where the pulse is optional. I didn't care about if they had a pulse. As long as I can build their insurance, I didn't care. Well, I realized that was a really bad way to think about my ideal clients, the people that I truly want in this business. So number two is you got to determine who is your avatar and really dive into that. Get really clear around that. Because that's going to drive your marketing as well, right? Like, I mean, you still need to promote. And in, in the example of what we're talking about here is medical practices, you still need to be able to promote your medical practice. And are you going to just be vague and just say, hey, anybody that's got a pulse, come and see us? Most people want to dive into marketing and they have no idea who they're actually marketing to. So one of the, one of the biggest problems is bit is if you're not clear on who your avatar is, then how are you going to be clear on the messaging to the avatar? How are you going to be able to connect with the pain points and the challenges and the problems that this person has? You're going to be sending a general message out there and let's face it, every single person that's going to be listening to this, we're all specialists. We might be commoditized in our industry saying, you know, training is training, therapy is therapy and therapists are therapists. But the reality is whatever is going to differentiate us is going to be dialed in with the person that we help and we provide a unique selling proposition to the most. And that's why getting very clear on who is the person that you can deliver the best service to that inspires and energizes you is paramount, which is why it's the second step. Mm. So just to give a bit of context for some of the listeners, what would be some like some examples of practices that do it well and how they will like differentiate? Yeah. So practices that do it well for avatar are ones that are clear on, well, is your avatar more male or female? Is your avatar married, single? What are the hobbies that your avatar has? Where do they live? What's their socioeconomic status? You know, are they professionals or are they more blue collar? Are they seniors or are they kids? Right. So you might have a practice that's more of a premium service, which then, you know, requires a, a bit more of affluent customer. For example, more, uh, let's, let's not say customer, a patient who can afford those services. So that would then govern you to make sure that your avatar, who you're targeting is somebody that's more higher income earner, for example, right? As an example. Yeah, well, you, you get to choose who your, who your ideal client is. You got to choose that first. And hopefully what you're doing is choosing that based on what you like to treat. If you like to treat people that are more high affluent people, because you have a cash-based boutique type of business that you charge $250 a session, well, then you want to get clear on that kind of person because you connecting and communicating to that kind of person is going to be very different than if you're communicating to a person because you're charging $50 a visit. It's a different type of person. And let's say you like to specialize in athletes. Well, communicating and connecting with athletes is going to be very different than if you like working with 65-year-old and older kind of uh, seniors. 
So this avatar helps you to create a picture of who you primarily are going to target and market to. Here's the question I often get, but Jamie, I, I, I can see more than just that one person. And the answer is yes, you can. But here's the, here's the problem. We're looking at this as a way to best use our time and to best use our resources. So we have to narrow down our focus to be able to communicate specifically with a particular person. Although what's going to happen is you're going to get other people coming in that you didn't directly target, but they wanted to come see you anyways, which of course you're happy to take care of. But here's, here's what doesn't work. What doesn't work is you being the generalist. Look, we are in the profession, whether it's physical therapy, whether it's personal training, whether it's health, whatever it is, we are in the profession of specialties. When you have a back problem, would you go to the general orthopedic or would you go to the back specialist? Hmm. Well, I would go to back specialist for sure. Right. You'd go to the back specialist, even if they both had the exact same education. But because that person has back specialists and you've seen some of their, their content, you've seen maybe some of their emails or you've seen them, then you were like, I know they can take care of me and potentially help my problem. Now, if you had a friend, let's say that that was, you know, friendly with the general orthopedist and they made that connection, okay, that might happen on that angle. But we're talking about who you're going to predominantly communicate and market to. So we need to make sure that we are marketing with our future client in mind. And we have to be super, super clear because if not, confused people don't. You ever heard that say? Mm. Great marketing saying, right? That means anytime. Say it again. Say it again. That was good. Confused people don't. It means anytime someone is confused, they will take no action. You give them 50 choices, they won't choose any. You give them small, medium, and best value, they're going to choose best value 80% of the time. So if we say, oh, by the way, I specialize in neck, back, nose, eyes, shoulder, knee, hip, ankle, they're going to be like, uh, I'm a one-trick pony. Hey. I, best, I specialize in the spine and helping you get back to the activities you love doing. And we do it quickly and we do it without any hassles of jumping through hoops. Oh yeah, I'm going to go with that person. So by doing this avatar, we start to build this picture of the person that we want ultimately to attract, knowing that we're going to get other people as well. Let me guess, that's going to govern your marketing and your ROI, and you're going to have predictability in your business because you're going to know that where you're investing your money in towards promotion. It, it, is, it is so tried and true. Mm -hmm. it, it makes so much sense when you think of it this way. But unfortunately, we don't think of it this way. We weren't trained to think of it this way. It's not their fault. It's not your fault. We just weren't trained to look at it. So yes, if you're a small business, if you're in that hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollar range, and you want to get to that next level, that six, seven hundred, and then you want to go to that next level, which is the seven figures. Yes, you need people in the door. Now you have enough. You have a vision of where you're going. You have a destination of where you're going. You know what you want to do. You have a clear avatar, an ideal client of who you want. Now it's all about building your network. Here's how it's going to start out. Any person that's ever started a business from the ground up started generating referrals the same way. What we did is we relied on our friends, family, neighbors, and perhaps some people we worked with at our previous job. That's how we did it. That's how we get it, got it going, which is great. But eventually what happens is that starts to die out, right? You start to get busy. And then all of a sudden the referrals don't come in because you went through your initial people. So now you have a choice. There's a lot of different ways to do it at this point. You could put some money into digital measures, right? You could build your website. You could throw a lot of money into Facebook or LinkedIn. You could really, you know, put thousands of dollars into branding yourself. That's an option. You could do advertising. You know, you could do pay-per-click. You can host events. There's lots of things you can do, but what I've found 
the most effective way and the most economical way, because most of the people that are starting a business at this level don't have any money, but they do have time, is to build your referral network. That is number three, step three. So why? Why are you doing this? It's because as specialists, people are referred. I live in a neighborhood that has 400 homes. We have this, we have this thing called listserv. It's like, an, it's like an email thing just for the neighbors, right? Are you familiar with that? It's like some communication thing just for the people in the neighborhood. So if some weird person is walking, you'll say, I see a weird person walking in the neighborhood and people will respond. Right, right. One of the biggest things that is used is people ask for recommendations. And I've never heard someone say, hey, I'm just looking for a, a personal trainer that specializes in anything. I need a physical therapist just to help me with a general problem. Everyone always says, I'm looking for someone with a specific blank. I'm looking for a plumber to help me with my toilet. I'm looking for a therapist that can help me with my knee. I'm looking for a doctor that can help me with this. People are looking for specialists and specialists are referred to by people they know, like, and trust, which is the network in which you're building. Mm. So what you can do, you can also flip it on the other way around. It's what they say, what they're looking for specifically. You can also say the same thing. I'm looking for, let's say, five five athletes or, or three athletes that are preparing for Olympics that are struggling with, with knee pain right? or something like that. Well, yeah, depending on your marketing strategy. But this particular strategy is really about building your network of influencers because you can spend your time going after one person at a time. But I like to leverage my time. I'd rather build a relationship with someone that has influence over hundreds of potential patients and customers for me, such as, you know, an orthopedist. They can send a lot of back people, a lot of athletes to me. We used to specialize in runners. So we would work with running coaches and boutique running clinics and people that also specialize in runners, but did it in a different way than us. So by building your list of potential influencers or potential referral partners, yes, it may take a little longer to build a relationship, but you're also building a foundation where you're going to continue to get referrals again and again and again, because you're going to have a solid relationship, not something that's held by silly string that could break as soon as someone else goes after that person. And all of a sudden you start, you stop getting referrals. So that's the huge premise that I learned that I never did when I started my practice for the first several years, I, I didn't go after any doctors. I didn't go after anybody like that. I just went after individual people. But what I realized is when you build 10, 20 relationships and they're sending you a couple people a month, your business starts to ramp up quick and you start to hit that seven figure mark easily. The key word you said is scale, the scalability, right? Mm-hmm. I definitely like the strategy, referral strategy, because it's such a great strategy. Like if you can really nail it down and whether it's your referral, like partner network, or whether it's referral strategy with your customers by having some amazing system of, you know, their initial experience and in, let's say they, they, they come in and you shop and they buy something and then there's the follow up, you know, where you amaze them with another thing and kind of say, you know, Hey, if you, if you, you know, in like, or maybe even like you say, Hey, here's a. Thank you for, for visiting us and thank you for buying this. And by the way, here's a, a little free gift that you can give to somebody. You know, like when you get those system nailed down that you know they work and, and, and you've got even like metrics and conversion on how many of your hundred people actually do give it to their mate and they coming. When you have that, then you can actually have a predictable understanding of when you get a new customer, you get three other ones. Those three other ones will get you nine other ones. Like when you can like really like have it set up like that, that's, then you're winning. And that's, that's, you know, then let's say if you do then decide to do paid advertising to acquire one customer, you know, that let's say if it costing you $200 to acquire that one customer, but you also know that they're going to refer you nine, 10, hundred because your referral system is sorry, dialed down, then, then you're winning. Right. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, what I've learned is, and I've worked with hundreds and hundreds of business owners, and it's a, it's a tried and true way when you 
look, we're all in smaller communities. You know, if you have a, a, an online type of business, then this still works, but it works at a different capacity. But if you have a business where it's fairly local in your community, then influencers hold a lot of weight. So when you start building those relationships and you get referrals, now what you can do is start leveraging those relationships and leveraging your reputation there. Now your online marketing and some of the things that you're referring to become much more powerful. If you're not really known around, then you can be doing some really great online work, but ultimately that person is gonna ask someone, hey, I was thinking about going to, to Jamie's place at Schreier Physical Therapy, what do you think? Oh, you know what? I don't know about them, but you gotta see my person. They're great and they specialize in back pain. Oh, okay, I'll see your place. Because as specialists, we are referred to. We are someone that people recommend to us. We use our networks of influence. So that's why I put the step as building your network before focusing on some of the funnels and all that. It doesn't mean it can't come quite simultaneously, but as you know, it takes some technical know-how and some skills and some capability to be able to do it. And if you're using you know, some of the paid advertising platforms, it takes some darn money because you got to figure out how to dial it in. And that doesn't happen overnight, but building relationships, we all have the ability to do that. And if we're in a town, most likely we already have some really good, warm relationships that we can start with and then start reaching out to some of the relationships that we don't have yet, but start building them up. And it, it happens predictably when you start building your net, network of influence. But it also takes uh, takes a bit of time to build that trust. Like I remember when I was a personal trainer, I I did exactly this. Like I mean, yeah. I did I did have a website. It was actually the first thing I did. I have a website and you know and then like focus on delivering great service to my clients and you know hoping that they refer me. But re relying on clients to refer you doesn't always like work unless you got a really good system. And I didn't at the time. Mm -hmm. But what I started doing, I went to a physio, had a bit of a knee pain, and then I start you know thinking maybe, maybe you know like maybe maybe there could be some synergy and so. So I, you know, I pitched it to him and said, man, when you have somebody, once you've treated them, once they're ready to come back to training, why don't you refer them to me? But it didn't happen. Do you know why? Because like I, I went straight for the sale. I went straight to straight for the kill. You know, I didn't realize, you know what? I actually need to spend a bit more time with this physio guy. I need to maybe take him out for coffee, get him to know me, get him to feel comfortable with me. So he can trust me knowing that when he does refer people, they would be looked after. He didn't know if, if I'm doing a it, good job or not. All right. So that's it, one thing. It, like it, it takes a bit of time to build that trust. But once you do, then the mistake we all make. It, it's like the dating game. It's like you're walking in, you meet someone for two minutes, and you're like, hey, you want to go away with me for the, for the weekend? They're like, away with you for the weekend? I just, I don't even know your name. You know, it just, does, it just doesn't work. You got to build rapport. You got to build an affinity. You got to build that T word. You got to build that trust. And when you're ready to put the time in and be the farmer, not the rancher, you know, the difference between the farmer and the rancher, rancher's just slaughtering, man. You want steak tonight? You take that cow, you kill that cow. We're eating meat tonight. But the farmer is all about cultivation. The farmer is all about sowing the seeds, putting the water, putting the right chemicals in the, and the right things for the soil. But once that thing starts growing, it continues to grow and continues to come up again and again and again. So this, this isn't the wham, bam, thank you, man approach. This is the approach to build a sustainable seven figure company, not to just go up and down and go up and down, which so many people do. They market, they go after the quick, I want it now rancher approach. And I'm not saying it doesn't work. It will work. It's just not sustainable. Then it starts to go back down and then you do it again. You get busy. So you stop doing it. And it's, it's the roller coaster that so many of us uh, take. So again, it's the other way. It may work. It may be short lived, but I'm teaching you the, the seven steps to a seven figure business, not just the seven steps to get a few patients for the meantime until a month from now, you're back down to where you were. Anyone can figure out that, that game. And the really good thing about doing it this way is that there is an end, like if you are planning for, for an end game, let's say to retire in your 60s, whatever, whenever, and you want to sell your business by having a structured system that's predictable, the value of the business is going to go up, A, 
so you can get more money for it. And B, if you got it all systemized and you can show to somebody, you know, these are my metrics, these are tried and proven metrics, this is how it all works, then it's going to be also easier to sell it. Yeah. Uh, so we've got three steps. We've got destination, we figure out our why, we know what our ideal client is, who we want to target in our local area because this is a local-based business. Um, talking about practice here. And then you've got your, you started building your referral network, which you started to maybe, you know, trickle through some new, some new referrals, some new clients. What's the next step? All right. So what happens when you start building your network? You start getting more referrals. What happens when you get more referrals? Now you get busier. What happens when you get busier? All the other stuff that it takes to run your business, you can't do, including doing what it took to get you busy, which is building and nurturing and maintaining relationships. So now the next step is you need help. Help is all about hiring. You gotta hire A players. That's what step number four is. And hiring has a lot of components to it. So hiring is all about knowing the type of person you wanna hire. What are the, the what I like to say is you hire for character and train for skill. And what that means is the mistake that people make is they hire someone that the resume looks good. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, I want to hire a rock star. You seem like it is. And you hope and pray that this person kind of knows what you know and can do some of the things you can do, whether it's a front desk or administrative, or maybe if you have other trainers working for you. And the mistake is you're leaving it way too much to chance. You might get lucky and run into a rock star, but I found that I'd rather not try to hire a rock star. I'd rather develop a rock star. So the kind of people that we want to hire is you want to get clear on the type of traits and characteristics that people have. What do they value? Because to me, that's more important. Vid, if you don't believe in integrity, if you don't believe that lifelong learning and doing what's right is just innate who you are, dude, you can't work for me because those values are set in, in, in my belief system. So you might have the greatest resume in the world and all this experience, but if you don't have those core things, we're going to start to have problems. So the thing I encourage people to do is spend time, not just writing the job description of the position you want. For most people, it'll be some type of admin type of stuff. Cause I've never met someone that is a, a, a trainer, healthcare provider, or whatever, love the admin parts. So you're going to hire probably someone like that first. Make sure you're clear on not only the job description, but the type of personality and character they have, and make sure that is in line with you. Because if not, we tend to hire out of desperation because we get to this point of being really, really busy, and we just need anybody to help us. And we don't take the time to hire what will turn out to be someone that's going to help make us or potentially be cost us a lot of money. So hiring is absolutely step number four, making sure that there's a job description, making sure you're clear on the type of characteristics you want. And then also hiring isn't just them signing the agreement or the offer letter. Hiring is also making sure you're training them because just because you hire someone doesn't mean they're going to be properly trained, even if they quote, did the same position for someone else. Do you really want to leave it up to someone else to train them, even though they don't work there anymore for whatever reason? So this is where some time has to be put into. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. There's things out there that you can grab from, but this is where it's really important, not just to make sure you hire the right person, but make sure you onboard and train this person so they're actually doing the job the way you want them to do the job and not rushing it through, hoping that they do the job correctly while you just focus on the, you know, providing the services and stuff. Absolutely. And you say the word integrity, I think in a medical practice, like, I mean, in, in any practice, I mean, in life, like that, that character is like that trait, like having a strong integrity, you know, saying, doing, when you say something you're going to do and you do it. And if you screw up, you know, you're going to, you're going to, what's the word, you know, like you're going to own it. You're going to make okay. Yeah, own up to it. That's right. You're going to own up to it. And it, and I would assume in a, in a practice, if you've got somebody doing the admin on the reception, there's a big need on attention to detail for, 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 
for the clients, what they say, who they are, keeping notes, building their history of the clients that come in regularly, attention to detail when it comes to appointments. Well, you, want you want someone who's outgoing, who's an extrovert, who actually likes people. You know how many business owners I work with that has a front desk that the person flat out says they don't like people that much? And I'm like, they're the forward-facing person of your company. They flat out told you, I don't really like people. They're introvert. They're kind of meek. They don't show up strong for your brand, for your company. And this is the person they have at the front that's costing them a fortune because they're going to turn people off. And actually a really good point because a lot of technicians, a lot of, a lot of technicians tend to be introverts sometimes. Like let's say if you are the practitioner, you're a specialist on the back pain, you might be a bit of an introvert. You're really good at what you do, but you're not really like, you know, into like chit chat and all that. So it's good to balance it out with somebody that you have on the front, front, front facing side of the business on the first reception desk. So the customers fall in love with them, but they also fall in love with the service. Yeah. I, 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 I love saying this and I'll say it for your guys, your front desk person, your person answering the phone, that forward facing is the most important person in your business. They can make or break it no matter how talented you are at your skill level. That front desk can make or break it. Your cancellation could be sky high. The phone doesn't get answered. They piss people off because of the miscommunication around bills are not attentive to people's needs. So many areas that can hurt your business, even though you're providing good quality services. So having a good forward facing person is critical. And that's typically where the hiring begins. Of course, as you begin to grow your business, you'll hire other people. You'll hire other revenue producing people like other uh, trainers or therapists or what have you. The same process goes. You put the job description uh, together and you put what are the characteristics we want? What are the skills, the technical things that we want? And, and then you go through that interview process, making sure that they check the boxes and not getting caught up with the emotional desperation of, I just need somebody. Most people hire too late. When in doubt, hire someone before you think you need them. Yes, it might be a little bit more of an investment, but it will get you out of hiring the wrong person, which research has shown will cost the company multiple times of the investment that they're making into somebody. And that's what tends to happen when you do it too late because now you're scrambling and you're not paying attention to detail. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So we've got, we've got our front facing person now we, we, we get to go on the next one. What's the next one? Well, now we're getting to uh, your favorite cause you brought it up so many times. <laughs> Should you know your metrics. Now we get into understanding, managing your metrics, know what your numbers are, get into your mind that you operate a data-driven business. Why is this important? Because data is objective. Data has no emotion to it. It's just numbers, right? If you don't know what your numbers are, you don't know how many people you're seeing, you don't know your cancellation, you don't know your conversion rate to someone that's referred to versus someone that converts into a, a new client. If you don't know how much someone is worth to you, like what's the average uh, package that you sell or what's the average worth of a visit. If you don't know some of these key performance criteria, then you're going to use what you think is happening in the business. And here's what I'm 100% positive on you're going to be biased on what you think is happening in your business. You're not going to see the picture for what it is. You're going to see what's happening with your own lens that has all kinds of faulty views on it. Even if you're right on one little thing, you could be wrong on another. What metrics does is get you out of that emotional world and just looks factually on a page. We call this page a dashboard and just looks at the numbers. The numbers is a history lesson. It's a history of what happened in the past. Could be yesterday, could be last week, could be last month, could be last quarter. It's a history of what happened. And once you have those numbers, now you're able to look at things like trends. You're able to look at, well, how well is my front desk 
my, my admin person doing? Well, instead of saying, Hey, I really think you're doing a good job. I'm going to give you a raise. You can say, you know what? You're absolutely doing a good job. Look, you have less than an 8% cancellation. The utilization of the schedules packed and people are giving us five-star reviews and saying how great you are. That's objective information. That's what you want to rely on. And too many times we are emotional beings. We are high intellects and experts at our craft. And we don't use metrics and objective data to manage how our business is doing. We use just what we think is going on. And that is just too expensive. And there's no way you're going to become a seven-figure business working like that. That's a, such an important message that you just said, knowing your metrics, because <laughs> I, can't imagine, I can't remember how many times like I've, I've met somebody or, or even worked for somebody and, and you know, they were, they were like a super small business owner and they kind of, you know, they maybe didn't even have like a very, very much of a background in business, but they just maybe bought a franchise that just, you know, <laughs> bought a business or, 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 you know, maybe somebody in their family died and they, and they, and they what's the word? They inherited it. Uh, inherited it whatever right yeah 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 and then they they maybe have run it for a few few years and then now they feel like they know the business and like they call themselves a business owner and and then they hire you and then they just tell you how it is and like that's you know and they just say oh you know what i've always done it by gut feel you know it's that you know liquid finger and i know where the wind's blowing i know where it's you know i, I know what the next best thing is but you're so right like it's this is all subjective this is all just in their own head and it, 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 there's no actual like black and white. Like it's, it's, it's just someone's thoughts. That's all it is. Just someone's thoughts <laughs> or, or the same or like going to a like a, a, a team meeting at work, you know, and like everybody's just throwing ideas and, and it's actually, that's another really important one I've, I've, I've observed is, uh, you might have a team meeting and you might have somebody that, that does understand the metrics and you know, pitches an idea that's probably a really good idea, but then you've got a few other people that are maybe less experienced, but they're more influential in terms of being able to sway the rest of the team, right? They yeah. use, they use things, they say the words, things like, oh, you know, everybody, all the customers, they say this, they all been telling me the whole, they all like the whole, like all these little no. tactics and, and people don't even, they might not even realize they're doing it. But they are swaying the team, and before you know it, the initial idea of that other guy that that or other guy or other lady that said that idea that was based on numbers and that actually would have been a really good idea. Now everybody's going to that idea, or, yeah. or even or even maybe it's been dismissed because the other person is completely like yeah, swayed everybody. So we we call it when people talk like that, we call it the collective they. Well, they they said this, everyone's doing this, and it's like, who's everyone? That's right. You have to ask, you know, all of them, who's them. And you start to, you start to reframe them that they're just speaking in general tongues. That's right. You're clear on, well, I can tell you 18% of our people are not coming in. They're canceling on us. Maybe they don't see the value in which we're providing. So how can we help them see that and reduce that number as a result? So it, it allows the, the, the owner to begin to communicate with the team. And that hiring one, there's a lot more to that hiring one. There's, like you said, there's having regular meetings and, and communication. There's having expectations of their role and using the metrics as part of that. So there's a lot more to that, but, but to your point, if we're not speaking in, you know, objective language, it becomes this subjective personal stuff. In other words, I start to blame you personally. There's so much research that says the best companies in the world focus on the process. They support their people, but they realize that, that if there's a problem with the company, there's a, there's a 94% chance, Edwards Deming came up with this, there's a 94% chance that the process is broken. So that means there's only a 6% chance that might be a character flaw in the individual. What does that say? When I hear someone saying something's not working, whether it's a therapist or a trainer or a front desk, they always attack the person individually. They never look at the process that the person's following. And you know why? Because most of the time there isn't one. 
It isn't clear what's expected of them. They are so confused of what they're supposed to do. They're just doing the best they can. Then the owner gets mad at them and attacks them personally. They don't care. They're trying to sabotage me. They got issues with money. They think all I care about is money. You know, all these stories that get in our head, the way you start handling those stories is you start by getting clear with objective data. And this is where leadership, strong leadership comes in. You said, you said at the beginning, you know, integrity, ownership. If you own a business and you start blaming somebody for doing a poor job and you haven't got a system, well, then, then you are the one to, to blame because you, you've got a poor leadership. You haven't properly led them. You haven't properly led by example. You haven't like, yeah, that's, there's a really good book uh, by Jocko Willing, but called Extreme Ownership, where you like extremely assess what you're doing, like extremely assess to a point of this, for example, like, have I actually laid down the path for somebody to follow it? Or did I just tell them, do this and then, you know, hope that they're going to do it right, but then they don't because they're not being properly led. So important. But that, you know what that takes? I'm a Michael Jackson fan. One of my favorite Michael Jackson songs is Man in the Mirror. It takes looking in the mirror and saying, the problem is actually you. Mm. And it's hard for us to do that. I'm sure you've done that. I've done that on more than 50,000 times of saying, Jamie, the problem here is you stop blaming someone else. You need to upgrade you. And that's to the point of, well, you referenced Jocko, great, great books he has, but that's to the point of, you have to look at what can you do to better that situation and not just attack the individual person. And there's a good chance is you haven't been clear in what you expect. You haven't properly trained the person. There's not any kind of outline or process or template for them to follow, or perhaps a script, you know, usually it's something at least 97% of the time, it's that that's the issue, but we keep attacking people, then they leave and then we have to hire someone else that you'll never get to the level you want to get to operating like that. So that's why, you know, focusing on hiring and really dialing those metrics become really important in this, in this methodology. And the second, the second skill set also, I feel like obviously the first one is leadership, like extreme leadership, extreme ownership. But the second one, when it comes to dealing with people, I feel like, because you say, look in the mirror and you know, when you realize the problem is you, you need to upgrade yourself. So one of the upgrades is get like extreme with what you need to fix up with your, with your ownership, your integrity, that's a, but the second one is soft skills, the people skills, right? And if you're a technician, if you started off as a practitioner, a technician, you're a really good at fixing back, but now you're, you've got all these people, but you're not really good at people and you're not really good at the soft skills, then it's always going to break at some point with you're going to have frictions uh, because you're not going to be able to properly communicate things to people. And, 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 you know, so you really have two options there. I, I, I feel, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. One, you can either try and invest to, to learn those soft skills. But if they're not naturally do like if you're not typically be extrovert, that's more better with soft skills. But if you're more introvert, you can learn it. But if it doesn't work, then hire a manager, hire somebody that can do that. Yeah, no, no. I mean, communication. I mean, look at step number three, when we talk about, you know, building your network, that's communication. I mean, there's a, there's a specific, I mean, we have a specific path of how to actually do that and a big part of it is learning some of those soft skills. If you don't have those, you're going to come at it. So like so many people come at it, like you just said in the example before is, Hey, 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 how about you refer me people and we'd work together and all that. It's like, you haven't learned the art of rapport. Mm. You haven't learned the art of actually providing value and, and learning and being interested about something, somebody else. You just learned the art of, I want what I want. I can get too crap about you. So. These, these soft skills, these communication skills, the listening skills, especially are, are, are weaved in all of this. Maybe not the work that you sit there and just figuring out your destination, but certainly in the work of when you start to build your network of people, when you're able to hire and train and develop a, a rapport and relationship with your team, that is huge. And, and it's also huge with the next step to uh, a seven figure business. What is it? I'm so glad you asked. This one is all about providing the light. 
We can call it the wow experience. We can call it delight, but this is all about providing the customer experience. The only thing that really is going to ever separate you from the competitor down the street is the experience you provide. Why do I say that? Because Disney provides an experience unlike anything else. Anyone can actually create some of the Disney rides like Space Mountain or the Hulk ride or something like that. Other amusement parks have the technology to do that. But what they can't compete with is the intense manner and the focus and the energy that they put in creating the customer experience from the moment you connect with them and how to anticipate and meet the needs of their target audience, which again, goes back to creating your avatar. So how does that matter to the trainer, to the healthcare provider, to the therapist out there? It's when you understand who your avatar is, you can start looking at how can you, and this is the question you asked, how can you meet their needs? How can you meet their expectations every step along the way that they are engaging with you from the moment they call you to when they come in for your initial evaluation or initial assessment, how can you meet their needs? And when you start asking yourself those questions, you can start putting together an experience that doesn't just happen once, but it happens consistently because that experience becomes a consistent process that happens no matter who is actually there doing it. And that's one of the best ways and biggest ways to start freeing you up from this business so you can hit that seven figure and beyond mark. If we were to do an example, what I could maybe imagine be like, for example, if you have a practice and you're treating a lot of athletes, right? You could have, you know, how you talk to them initially, like when they enter the practice, you're not going to have some wake pictures on the walls. You might have some, you know, some of the uh, best athletes from the history of, of, of the his like of ever, right? You can have Michael Jordan's on the wall. You can have the best Olympians on the wall. So when they enter, it's like, that's their world. That's what they look up to. Then then your receptionist might be talking to them, you know, and using some of the slang that they know that that's like a typical for athletes and like all those little things, like, right. That's, that's as an example. Yeah. Cause when you're, let's say, um, I used to work a lot with athletes and some high level athletes and what, what I know about athletes is, you know, first of all, they don't know really anything about the doctor unless they are in there all the time. And second of all, they are absolutely concerned with getting back to their full level because either a scholarship's on the line, if they're a collegiate athlete, or if they're a high school athlete, a potential scholarship's on the line, or if they're a professional athlete, their livelihood is on the line. So be able to put their mind at ease, to be able to speak to, hey, you know what? I know you might be concerned with this because, you know, what you do for a living. I mean, it's, 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 look, this is what we do. We've worked with people just like you with the same problem. We're here to take care of you. And we're going to make sure we explain everything we do every step of the way. And you're going to get this, you know, so you know exactly what um, you need to do so you can get back on the field. So by knowing who I'm dealing with, I'm able to create an experience with them because that's all scripted and be able to send an email. Thank you so much for coming in. And we appreciate you entrusting us with your health. Here are the things that you might be feeling after your first session. You might be a little more sore or you might be feeling better. Whatever the case is, here's what we want to do next. So by creating that very specific message to them, knowing what they might be feeling creates an overall amazing affinity and experience where you're not only doing this just out of the goodness of your heart, you're also developing people who are going to be raving fans to you. Because that's what the customer experience is about. It's creating people that are going to shout from the rooftops. You got to see Vit. His place is amazing. Five-star review. Because those referrals don't cost you anything. And those referrals are some of the best referrals you're ever going to get. So the customer experience at this step, step number six, is now critical because you have staff to help you. You're measuring uh, metrics. 
you're now able to better train your team to create a better experience to further take your patients and clients that are coming in and start doubling them up. So here's what we did. We measured how often did a patient refer. And what it came to is anywhere between 22 and 24% of the patients refer. That means, let's say one quarter of our patients referred another for free. It cost us zero to get that person. I mean, that's how you begin to scale and grow a business. You take people that come to you and double them up right away. Within two to three weeks, a person would invite another person, even if they were still there. That's the power of creating an experience for people. So how do we wrap it up? What's the last step? Well, we wrap it up with step seven, man. So step seven is, is, is an important step and a step that we often don't do because of how we operate. We're people that operate in a nonstop, busier is better, working harder, working harder, working more hours is kind of like a badge of honor. And step seven is all about time management. It's all about controlling your time, you controlling your time, not having others control it for you. It's about creating time for you to have free days and time off to rejuvenate yourself, not hoping to have a little time off because some patients cancel or a staff meeting cancels or something like that. Controlling your time to do revenue producing activities, such as continuing to build and market your practice to continue to build those relationships, having time to think and forecast your business about where things are going, communicating with your team, meeting with your team, and also then having time to work on continuing to delegate the things off your plate that you don't like to do. Delegation is not hard when you focus on selfishly, I'm going to delegate things I don't like to do or I'm not particularly good at doing. This is what time management does for you. It helps you better organize your time so you can actually work less and achieve more. And this is how I make that statement of when you learn the practice freedom method, you are going to make more money and you are going to work less. It's required for you to work less. But what you do is you're going to work much more efficiently. So you're going to get a whole lot more done, but you're not going to have all this other crap that's happening. You're going to dial in on the things that you do best and you're going to help support and, 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 and lead your team on the things they do best. So these are the seven things. Determine your destination, who's your avatar, build your network, begin to hire and train your people, you know, mind your metrics, really get your metrics in place, deliver a wow experience, and control your time management. So Jamie, these seven steps, they're amazing. But what I found is people come about this wisdom to developing something like this after they've gone through some, some really challenging experience because that's what driven them to be better. So what was your most challenging experience? Oh, Vid, it, 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 it might be a little bit of a tie. I, I shared about the fire that happened and yes, that was a challenging experience, but what's interesting, that's not the most challenging experience. What the most challenging experience happened as I started to get some traction in my business and I thought I had it all figured out. I was starting to remove myself from the day to day. I implemented those seven steps that we talked about. And then all of a sudden my manager that was supposed to be running one of my clinics, all of a sudden told me that he was arrested the day before. And I'm like, what do you mean you're arrested? He was taken out in handcuffs because one of the, our patients said that he allegedly improperly touched her doing, during a, a screen of her low back. So then what happens is I had my sister-in-law calling me because my name, my picture is on the five o'clock news. Ooh. That is difficult because now everyone out there, because you think they're going to, you know, and by the way, the whole thing was, was thrown out. She, the whole, that she never showed up and, and it, it never really happened. Do you think they put up there? Oh, never mind. Schreier physical therapy. It's fine. No, I got to deal with that negative press, which God, that, that scared the living daylights out of me. Then the other thing I had to deal with is my own board of examiners started to investigate me. 
So I had to go down to the investigator down in Baltimore, Maryland, and sit there. I had my attorney there and the guy goes, I don't care if you have your attorney, you're not under arrest. This is not for an attorney. Your attorney just sits there. So I'm paying my attorney $400 an hour to sit there as I get interviewed for 156 questions all about my business. That was the most difficult thing I ever faced. I was scared to death. I didn't know what was going to happen. But what I did is I looked back on that moment, you know, weeks later, and I said, this is going to be the turning point to move my business forward because I learned so much about my business and realized I didn't have processes in place. I didn't have regular meetings and values. I didn't have some of the HR things that you need. And I couldn't play the ignorance card. It taught me a ton about my business. And I had to learn, unfortunately, the hard way. But luckily, it didn't cost me my business. Wow. Well done, mate. That would, yeah, that would have been tough, tough experience. But thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing because it, it definitely helps bring perspective to, to anybody listening to, you know, to, to owning a business. So let's wrap this up. This was amazing. So we had seven steps. Guys listening, destination and your why. Figure out what your destination is. Figure out their why, why you want to do this business. Then figure out what's your ideal client. Figure out who you want to serve. Figure out your, you know, put, put together based on trust referral network. Then hire your A players. Make sure that you know your metrics. Make sure that you know your trends, your ROI, so that you can make decisions that are based on, uh, objective, not subjective measures. Make sure that you provide your wild experience to your client so that they, they will like not compare you against your competitor around the corner. And then lastly, have a really good time management so that you can A, work, uh, work on yourself, have some time off, but also work on the business rather than in it. So these are the seven steps. Jamie, thank you so much for sharing these steps. This, this, I believe this is going to provide lots of value and not just the listeners that own a practice, but also listeners that have other businesses, because a lot of the stuff that you mentioned today is relevant, like we said at the beginning. So thank you so much for sharing that. Now, on a parting note, would there be, uh, what would be the top three things you'd like our listeners to, to walk away with after listening today? Yeah, that's a good question. First of all, it, it does take more self-development to build a seven-figure business but it doesn't take more effort. You're already working your butt off. So don't look at doing this as, oh my God, I'm gonna have to work harder. You're not gonna have to work harder. You're gonna have to work truly smarter about your business, but you're gonna have to grow and, and get some of that business acumen in there. That's, that's, that's number one. Number two is just start. The best way to, to run a mile is take the first step. I'm sure you've heard that. I've heard the elephant thing, the best way to eat elephants one bite at a time. But truly the best way to do this is not get overwhelmed with the seven steps is just sit down there and start writing down. What is it that you want in your business a year from now? What is your goal? What is your destination? If you just do that one step, you'll start to feel good. You'll start to get excited about this vision. And number three, if you are in need of clients, get clear on your, your network. The people that have influence over your ideal client, get clear on that. Start reaching out to them. I don't care if they don't want to speak to you. I don't care if they ignore you. Reach out to 20 of them, and I guarantee you'll trip over two people that like you that are going to refer you people so you can get into action and get into activity and start solving that problem if you're having trouble generating referrals. Guys, I hope you've been taking notes because Jamie's been dropping some amazing value bombs here. And at the end of the day, that's all comes down to taking action. So actually take notes and take that action. Figure out what your the right next thing is. Because it, like Jamie said, like it might feel a bit overwhelming. Like there's these seven steps. Just pick that first one. Just start on that thing. Don't worry about the rest. Make sure you've written down though. But start on that first one thing. Jamie, thank you so much for, for jumping on the show today. I, I appreciate you. I know that you have, you have a busy day. So thank you for, actually, you shouldn't have a busy day today because you got seven steps in. You've got a good process in place. No, I mean, I had a really nice day. Took a walk with my wife. Been to play some basketball tonight. And that's a pretty good day. I had a chance to talk to you. This was the biggest part of my day right here, man. So thank you. I appreciate being here.
Awesome. Thank you, mate. Yeah, you're totally right. It's actually evening for you. <laughs> um, for listeners, guys, thank you for listening to today's episode of Sex is Inspired Podcast as well. Now, we've got a little gift for you. If you have a practice, specifically if you have a practice, Jamie has an amazing online course that I've checked out and, you know, I, I, I don't always refer or, or recommend stuff, but I've checked out Jamie's stuff and it's absolutely amazing. So if you're interested to implement these seven steps and you need a bit more help with it, you need, you know, some bit more, uh, like a bit more detail about how you implement these things. Jamie's got an online course on these seven steps. There's worksheets, there's, you know, videos that you watch. It's, it's basically completely like do it yourself type of course. So just jump over to successinspiredpodcast.com forward slash freedom practice, and that'll take you to that course. Okay. So it's successinspiredpodcast.com forward slash freedom practice. And you'll be able to jump onto Jamie's course and implement these seven steps. Jamie, once again, thank you. And you guys, thank you again for listening to uh, today's episode on Success Inspired Podcast. If you've enjoyed this interview, then please share it with your mates that you think would also benefit from listening. For show notes, links, and extra tips to help you accomplish more in life and realize your true potential, go to successinspiredpodcast.com. Thank you, and have a great rest of your day, everybody.